All I know is that their name is John and Mary. For their own protection, their last name was not given. I know it happened in April of 2013. They were taking their dog for a walk. It was a walk that they had taken many times before, almost every day for years. John, I believe it was, saw a rusty can that was kind of protruding up out of the ground. And out of curiosity, they began to dig. And they pulled that can out of the ground. And what they found inside were several gold coins. They were all minted from 1847 to 1894. A couple of the ones near the top where the rust were, they were not in great shape, but well over 95% of the collection was in mint condition. Did you know that when they evaluated this, they found that it was the largest gold find in U.S. history? And as they began to break down the valuation of them, there were $1,420 gold coins. There were 50 $10 gold coins. There were four $5 gold coins. And there was one 1866S no motto double eagle by itself. All together, by the way, what they found was worth $28,000 originally. They had a private firm to evaluate it for them. Amazon helped them to dispose of the collection. The entire collection went for $10 million. That one double eagle with no motto was a million dollars by itself. Can you imagine John and Mary? They get up, they go on a walk, and they thought that that day was going to be like every other day. Turns out it wasn't. You know, Jesus in Matthew chapter 13 is teaching. There are five teaching sections in the book of Matthew, and this is the middle one. And this is a unique and interesting section because Jesus chooses to do something on this occasion that's in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah. Matthew 13 verse 3 in the verses that we saw tells us that Jesus spoke in parables to the multitude on the occasion that we just read about. And those parables are these stories that Jesus takes from everyday common life. And he, out of that, makes a spiritual truth known to the people. And that's what a a parable is, laying a comparison side by side. And if you'll walk through, the subject of Jesus' parables are the kingdom. And as Jesus talks about the kingdom, he compares the kingdom to a sower who goes out to sow seed. And that seed falls into various ground. In the verses we just saw in Matthew 13, 1 through 9, he tells another uh, parable like this later on in the chapter where he talks about them going out and sowing and there's good seed, but it's sown among the tares and they can't do anything with it until harvest time, verse 24 through verse 30. There's another parable that Jesus tells where he talks about the kingdom influence being like a tiny mustard seed that grows into this giant tree, verse 31 and verse 32. And then Jesus compares the kingdom to a woman who takes a little bit of leaven and she puts it into a lump of dough and it spreads to the entire batch, verse 33. And later on, Jesus is also going to tell parables about treasure and about fishing and about a house supervisor. But in the middle of all of it, I want you to notice something that Matthew tells us. 
that Jesus was speaking to the multitude in parables and he did not say a word to them outside of speaking in parables that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, I will open up my mouth in parables. I will reveal those things hidden from the foundation of the world. Now what Matthew is referring to is Asaph in that very lengthy 78th Psalm, a historical Psalm. And in verse 2 of that, The prophet Asaph is the one who says that I'm going to open up my mouth and speak in parables. Jesus wants to make sure that because the subject is so important that we understand it. And so he gives us these various comparisons. And that's what's happening in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44 when Jesus would indicate to us that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure hidden in the field which he takes and hides. And for joy he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. If we can imagine how John and Mary felt as they go along the path and they find that rusty can in the ground, Jesus is saying, what I'm telling you about is something even greater than that. It is a kingdom and its nature is such that I don't want you to miss it. Now, as we think about our lives today, and we, if we are in Christ, we are those who are in the kingdom of our Lord. And we anticipate the reward that is to be realized in the kingdom of heaven. I want us to see four things very quickly that Jesus teaches us in this parable of the hidden treasure. Seems to me that the first thing that Jesus indicates in this parable of the hidden treasure is that it can be found. As you notice and think back to that story I told you about John and Mary, they're walking along and there it was. They didn't really have to look very hard. And so far as we know, the whatever searching that was done in Jesus' parable, it must have been something that could be discovered. The emphasis is not on the fact that it is hidden. The emphasis in Jesus' parable is that it can be found. You know, when we think about this life, Jesus is indicating a truth to us about the, the treasure of this life, the treasure that belongs to the kingdom, the truest of treasure. Something that all of us are doing is looking for purpose and meaning in life. We are searching for that treasure. The answer that unlocks the key to what is life about? Why am I here and what am I to be doing? And it seems though that it's elusive for us to find the answer to that question. And what Jesus would indicate is, at least by implication, is that maybe it's because we're looking in the wrong place. All over Scripture, we have these indications of the places that people look in order to try to find satisfaction, to find joy. Sometimes where we're looking is within ourselves. It's a common tendency of of us as human beings to try to figure it out on our own. And we believe that we can just figure it out if we just search our hearts and our minds hard enough and closely enough. Jeremiah the prophet says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. And Solomon would say in Proverbs 16 and verse 25, There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. But sometimes where we're looking to try to find the answer to the meaning and the purpose of life is uh, out of our flesh or, or the pleasures that we might enjoy. When we look at the book of Ecclesiastes... Solomon is given this grand experiment of life. He's looking to find purpose and meaning. 
And he looks at various places. He looks to wealth and wine and women and worldly wisdom. And as he does, he starts by saying, those things that I could have within my hand and find pleasure in, I sought those. And for the labor of my hand, all that I found was vanity and grasping at wind. He said, I looked to the things that would make me feel good. And I didn't find purpose and meaning out of that. Ecclesiastes 2, 10 and 11. Sometimes we look to our occupation, our job, and we feel like this is going to really help us to understand our purpose and our meaning. And Solomon tried to do the same thing. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 22 and 23, he said, I looked at the labor of my hands, and he uses that word labor several times, and he said, I laid awake on my bed at night, and yet it was also vanity. It was nothingness. Well, sometimes where we look to try to find the answer is to literal physical treasure. We try to find purpose and meaning in the stuff of this world. I was surprised to read about, I'd forgotten about this. You know, I don't know, some of the economic forecasters are saying that it's possible that we may find ourselves in another financial crisis, but some of us are old enough to remember the one that happened in the late 2000s. And it affected a lot of people, average people, but it affected everybody. There was a man in Germany by the name of Adolf Merkel. And Adolf Merkel in 2007 was worth $12.8 billion. But he was so distraught at the international financial crisis that he threw himself in front of a train in the southwestern town of Ulm, Germany. This 74-year-old man family said that he was so distraught, so dismayed at the financial crisis. And what had happened was, in 2007, he was worth 12.8. But in, by the December of 2008, he was worth only $9.2 billion. He had lost $3.6 billion. And what that means is, he went from being the 44th richest man in the world to the 96th richest man in the world. You would think that if somebody could find purpose and meaning in riches, it would be a billionaire. But Jesus says in Matthew 6 and verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. What our Lord is indicating to us in this parable is that there is a treasure. It is a treasure far greater than anything physical, anything tangible, like men would speak of it, though it is as tangible as anything else. It is a treasure... That can be found. John and Mary found theirs easily. Jesus' man in Matthew 13, 44 might have found his easily. But it says it was hidden in the field. And it says that he found it. Maybe he had to search. But here's the beautiful news. That as we seek the true treasure, even if we have to dig for it, you know what? We can find it. Jesus in one of the other teaching sections in Matthew chapter 7, in verse 7, he says, Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Our Lord wants us to see this fact with regard to the kingdom, that this buried treasure can be found. The second observation we make from this parable of the hidden treasure is not only that it can be found, but that it is valuable. Well, as we look and see, this man goes and he discovers this treasure. It is valuable enough that he wants to sell everything that he has because this has greater value than that. I'm a Georgia boy. I know that's no surprise to any of you that y'all know that. But I spent some time in North Georgia as a boy. We didn't live, we lived in South Georgia, but mom and dad had a place up in North Georgia. We went up there and one of the places we liked to go was the Chester River. 
I've loved history all my life, and the Chesapeake River was unique and fascinating because it was the place near Dahlonega where the Georgia Gold Rush occurred in 1828. I think I was eight or nine years old, and I was out there wading around and fishing through the rocks and, you know, hoping that it would happen, and, and it did. I reached down, dug down in there, and, and I couldn't believe my eyes. I pulled it out, and there it was, a big gold rock. And I went and I told my mom I was already thinking about how I was going to spend my treasure. She used a word I'd never heard before. She said, that's pyrite. I said, okay, you know, what, what can I buy with it? And she called it by another name, kind of hurt my feelings, because she called it fool's gold. I mean, this was my gold, and that's what she was calling it. She said, the color and the shape is not right. It's fool's gold. You know, when we think about the purpose and meaning in life, there are so many folks who are trying to find their purpose and meaning in those other things, and it goes to show us that trash can look like treasure, that things that we invest ourselves in at the expense of the kingdom are ultimately totally worthless. What's the most valuable treasure on this earth? You know, it depends on which financial expert that you talk to. But when we think about maybe scarcity and we think about the relative value and how it's hard to find and how versatile it is and and how uh, 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 strong that it is, most folks are in agreement that the most valuable metal on earth is rhodium. Do you have yourselves invested in rhodium? It's a good idea. Uh, If you can find some, go to South Africa where you're going to probably have to go. But if you can find some and you get a kilogram of it, it's $607,000 a kilogram. 19000 if you want to buy an ounce of it. Rhodium is, is valuable, but there's nothing more valuable than the kingdom. See, Jesus is telling us that there's no treasure that is equal to the treasure of the kingdom. And when we think about what it takes for one to get into the kingdom, we come to appreciate that. When you think about the kingdom and its value, think about what some of Scripture says. The kingdom is valuable because of the purchase price of it. How much did it cost to make the kingdom a reality? Paul tells those Ephesian elders in Acts 20 and verse 28, Take heed unto yourselves and unto all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. When it comes to the kingdom, there's only one in existence. It's unique. In Matthew 16, 18, you remember that Jesus and Peter are discussing who Jesus is. And Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you that you're Peter. And upon this rock, the fact that I am the Son of God, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. One has to be in the kingdom in order to have an eternal inheritance, according to Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. When it comes to the kingdom and its value, it is indestructible. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25 through 28. All the forces that are against it cannot succeed in destroying that. And the kingdom, how valuable is it? The Son of God is going to give that over to the Father at the end of all things. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 24. Its value is unmatched and unestimable. And Jesus wants us in our pursuit to focus on just how valuable it is. You know, this man I haven't heard of lately until the Will Smith 
Chris Rock incident that happened here uh, a week ago. But he weighed in on that, as a lot of people did. And he said something uh, off the subject, on a different subject. He said, I wish that everybody could be rich and famous and get everything they dreamed of so that they could see that it's just not the answer. He wasn't a hobo. He wasn't a welfare recipient. He was the world-famous comedian and actor, Jim Carrey, who, by the way, is worth $180 million today. He's saying, when you're looking for value, it's not what the world tells you that it is. Jesus says, when you're looking for value, there's nothing else that can match the kingdom. It's valuable. And he illustrates it in this parable. But another thing I want you to notice is that Jesus, in this very brief parable, just in Matthew 13 and verse 44, about the hidden treasure, tells us that this treasure brings joy. I'm trying to imagine. I don't want to fill in any blanks that Jesus is not, but here's a man who is walking through a field, and as he walks through the field, I know he can't believe his eyes. He Surely he shakes his head and wipes his eyes, but it's there, it's still there. What's he going to do? He, he realizes he's come on to something, and if he can play his cards right, it's going to work out to his advantage. So what he does is he takes that treasure that's in that field, he leaves it in that field, but he hides it somewhere else, presumably. And I know it had to have been hard for him not to tell his friends and his family. I'm sure he was bursting at the seams, but he goes and he buys that field. And I wonder what happens after he buys it. I know that some would say he would probably need to keep it under his hat because he's going to find that he has a lot of friends, a lot of relatives he didn't know he had after he has that great treasure. But don't you think there's got to be a part of him that just can't keep it inside? That he's going to spread that as far as a man without TikTok and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram can get the message out there. It's a joyful message. He has access. He has found this treasure. It's his. Jesus is saying this man felt great joy. At his discovery. When you walk through the book of Acts, what you see is that there is joy that is experienced by those who have come into the kingdom. And in some circumstances that we might find very surprising, in Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, it's experienced by Peter and John. Peter and John have been arrested, they've been threatened, they've been beaten, and, and now they go on their way, and they, it says, Luke says, that they experienced great joy that they were able to suffer for the kingdom. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 8, you have the Philip among the Samaritans, and when the gospel is preached among the Samaritans, there's great joy in the city. In Acts 8 and verse 39, you have uh, uh, Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. He's taught him. He's baptized him. Philip leaves, and here's the eunuch who goes on his way rejoicing. And as, as Paul's beginning to be prominent in his first missionary journey, and he goes to Iconium and he preaches, it says that those folks were filled with joy, Acts 13.52. And then at Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 15, at the Jerusalem meeting that they have, there's great joy among the Jews when they hear that the Gentiles have obeyed the gospel. That's not to say that it was easy for the early Christians. They were an unpopular group. They were even unpopular with other religions. They faced threats. They faced suffering. They faced rejection. They even faced death. And yet, despite the difficulties and the challenges, they felt great joy. Jesus is saying to us, no matter uh, how much there may be sadness in pursuing the Christian life and living as a citizen in the kingdom, there is a joy 
that is not found anywhere else like it's found in the kingdom. Jesus is trying to help us to appreciate the kingdom. And so he says it's like this buried treasure. And like this buried treasure, it brings joy. But then there's one other thing he shows us in this parable of this treasure that's hidden in a field. And that is that it requires sacrifice. Now, we kind of touched on that a moment ago, but I want you to see how Jesus sets that up for us. He says this man finds this treasure in the field. He evaluates that and he realizes that it's worth something so much that he's willing to go out and sell everything that he has so he can go back and purchase that field. There was sacrifice on his part. There was the sacrifice, whatever was involved, in the finding of the treasure, but then in getting his resources together and selling everything to buy that particular treasure. Now, Jesus is making a point. It's a point that he makes in the neutral times of his teaching about discipleship in Matthew chapter 13, but it's going to be a lesson that the disciples are going to need even in difficult times. Jesus is apostle to the Jews first and then to the Greeks Peter is going to write a letter to those suffering Christians and he is going to make a point throughout that's summarized in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 17 when he says, It is better if it is the will of God for you to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. The thing that Jesus wants us to know is that there's a price involved in following our Lord. You know, he says it in his teaching and he's going to say it through his apostles and prophets in the rest of the New Testament. Jesus is saying that sometimes it's going to cost us to come into Christ. It may cost us some friendships and some relationships. In Peter's letter, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 4, he says there are going to be some folks that you used to run with, and now that you're not running with them and doing the things that, that you used to do with them because there's a change in you, they're going to think it's strange and they're going to make it hard for you. Jesus says that sometimes it's going to cost the acceptance and the approval of family, Matthew 10 and verse 37. Sometimes it's going to cost you self and selfish desires. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself. But you see, for the great sacrifice that's involved, it yields what nothing else can. When you walk through the, the parables, they're, they're not terribly complicated. The Lord wants us to be able to, if we'll dig in, to be able to understand it. And he wants us to relate it to things that are a part of each and all of our daily lives. You know, you think about those things that seem to be one thing and wind up being something else. We've read about and heard about, maybe even experienced to some degree through the years, Ponzi schemes or pyramid schemes. You know, with the advent of services like Match.com and, and other kind of services, who has not had the experience of clicking on the profile picture and it looks like a supermodel, but when you meet them, they're bald and toothless and strange looking. It's not what you thought it was going to be. Jesus says that doesn't happen in the kingdom. When it comes to the kingdom of Christ, it is exactly what it's... In fact, it's not what it's built to be. It's greater than we would think that it is. What Jesus would indicate to us is we can look everywhere else on earth, but we're only going to find it in Him. We can take as long as we want, but every day that we are outside of Christ is one day less that we can be enjoying those riches. I think Jesus so often appeals to financial things because our lives, no matter where we live and when we live, in some way revolves very heavily around financial things. It's something that we can appreciate. 
But he says there's no value like the kingdom. And so whatever your portfolio says, whatever your net worth is, if you're a faithful child of God, you're rich. You couldn't be richer. The thing is, it causes one to ask two questions. How do I get in Christ? How do I make sure that I'm where I need to be in Christ? And of course, our Lord wants us to know that too. The invitation as it's extended is to address those very questions. If you're not in Christ, Jesus came to earth to die in our place so that we could have those riches accessible to us. It can be found. Even if it requires us to do some diligent sacrifice, it is something that has such great value that it will bring us joy like nothing else, unparalleled. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through verse 9. In response to the great sacrifice of Christ on the cross, he simply says, Come unto me and I will give you rest. He tells us how. Believe that Jesus is God's Son. Act on that faith by repenting and being baptized. Or if you're a child of God and you're struggling in that walk, he wants to make sure that we have the resource of one another to pray for one another and to confess our faults one to another, James 5:16 in 1 John 1 in verse 9. He wants us to walk out with our heads held high this week throughout our lives knowing that because God is our Father and He owns it all, that through Christ He has given us wealth untold. If this is your invitation tonight, we would encourage you to respond right now as we stand and sing.